I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk avian flu with the state vet and activists in the state rally for immigrants' rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you talk to Americans, regardless of what the what the polling says with respect to overturning Roe v. Wade, the vast majority of Americans recognize that the abortion laws in America right now, that is what are extreme. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves took to cable news over the weekend to make the case against abortion rights. This in the wake of a Supreme Court leak that indicates the court is prepared not only to uphold Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, but to reverse the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide. He speaks here with CNN's Jake Tapper. Even if the court did not overturn Roe, even if they just decided to uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban, that 39 out of 42 countries in Europe would still have more I, restrictive abortion laws. Yeah. The vast majority of Americans support restrictions that are reasonable on abortions, and the overturning of Roe is simply going to return those decision-making processes to the states back to and, the individual right, and, legislatures in yeah, all 50 and I'm, states. And I'm, and- More attention-grabbing were the governor's comments on NBC News Meet the Press Sunday. Here's host Chuck Todd. If there is legislation brought to you to ban contraception, um, would you sign it? Well, I don't think that's going to happen in Mississippi. I'm sure they'll have those conversations in in other states. But you're not answering the question. uh, As is always the case with... Thing, well, that's always the case. There, there's, uh, there's so many things that we can talk about. What, what the next movement in, in, in the pro-life movement, in, in my view, Chuck, is, is simple. And that is we must... Reeves attempted to clarify those comments later in the day, tweeting, quote, I'm not interested in banning contraceptives. I got asked on CNN and NBC this morning if we would ban contraceptives. I was pretty surprised because that's never been a conversation here. We've been focused on the readily available election abortion, even after pain can be felt. That's what we passed a law to prevent. 
An official ruling in the Dobbs case is expected within the next few months. House Speaker Philip Gunn said in a statement, Reeves' interview caused confusion. According to Gunn, the Mississippi House of Representatives would not take up legislation banning contraceptives. Coming up, we talk avian flu with the state vet. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Avian flu is sweeping the country. That's a concern in Mississippi, where poultry production is a key pillar of our agriculture-oriented economy. Jim Watson is the state veterinarian. Fortunately, it has not made it to Mississippi. We're on high alert because uh, the disease is carried by migratory waterfowl, primarily ducks, and the Mississippi River obviously holds a, uh, a lot of attraction. It's called the Mississippi Flyway, where ducks fly back and forth. So uh, the proximity to that is uh, always um, uh, makes us a little nervous uh, with these diseases. But to date, Mississippi has not had any outbreaks. Really, because we hear in other parts of the country, poultry producers are having to destroy some of their poultry due to the flu. Yes, that's correct. This this disease, um, influenza, a lot of your uh, listeners will be familiar with influenza, you know, and COVID, uh, all the different strains that those viruses can have. This particular strain, and, and it's carried, as I mentioned, by, by wild migratory waterfowl or ducks, um, is very lethal. And the disease is is basically 100% lethal to, to chickens and turkeys uh, when they get exposed to it. And so the only way that we have to fight this disease um, is to destroy the flock um, before they completely die uh, to the disease, but also because... Uh, the chickens produce a lot of virus that get back in the environment and can be dangerous for other chicken farmers and chicken owners close by. So, um, so when a flock is found to to be affected with it, our, our method of control is to come in and humanely euthanize or depopulate um, those birds. Is there? Is it just a matter of time before it gets to Mississippi? I think not because of the nature of the of the duck pathways, and so um, you know the the ducks live up in the northern part of the United States and Canada. In the winter time, they fly south to the South Pole or the southern parts of the world, and then in the in in our you know winter time, uh, they when it uh, they they start flying back up, and so that. That's when the duck hunters, you know, see a lot of ducks. And so for Mississippi and the southeast United States, that December, January, February time frame uh, is when these ducks are flying back north. Um, and so it seems like this disease, you know, as it's spread by those ducks, this time of year, they're they're going back to their nesting and breeding grounds. And so 
our biggest risk was back in in January, February, early part of March when it's really, really cold. Um, But those ducks have moved up. So I don't want to say that there's zero risk because we're always under alert and worried. But our risk now is much lower than it was earlier. And the ducks seem to be settled further north. And that's why now you're suddenly uh, seeing the spread uh, of this disease in those states in the upper Midwest, upper north, you know, going into the to the northwest. At this point, I guess then the concern is a rising cost of the cost of chicken and eggs. Turkey there could meat. be at at this point. I, I don't. I have not seen any reports. While it seems like a large number, uh, 33 million birds uh, being affected by the disease. When you look at our national uh, population of, of poultry and where agriculture is, um, I haven't seen anything that's going to indicate there being a shortage or an increase in price. Um, if you'll remember back in 2015, there was a similar outbreak that was even larger. It did uh, increase the the price of turkey and eggs a little bit for a short period of time, but uh, we're not we're we're not at those levels. Uh, this year. And uh, like I said, I've not there, you know, our industries are spread out over many, many states. And so, you know, that's just a a small percentage of our total uh, turkey and and chicken and egg production in the United States. How many producers are there in Mississippi? We have roughly 1,800 poultry producers in Mississippi. Anything that I didn't ask you about this topic that's important to mention? Well, I, I think the main thing is we, we focus on agriculture and our large commercial operations for food, but lots and lots of people love to have chickens in their backyard for eggs or just for fun of having chickens. And so during these times of outbreak, you know, it's important for them to understand that, that biosecurity or, or doing things that keep you from introducing the disease into your own chickens is important. And so we we talk a lot to backyard owners about um, if you visit somebody that has chickens, make sure you wash your hands, change your clothes, change your shoes before you go into where you keep your chickens. Um, uh, And so doing, and if you buy chickens from somewhere else or bring chickens in from somewhere else, keep them separate for a couple of weeks um, so that you're not introducing um, new disease. And so um, those things are important even for people that own uh, just small numbers of backyard chickens as well as the large, big commercial producers. I see. Well, thank you so much for that. My next question is in terms of veterinarians and over the course of the past two years, how they have been managing in light of providing care to animals. Because we're seeing a a demand that has really taken a toll on healthcare workers. It's true that there has also been a a similar, probably not to the same degree, a toll on our veterinary uh, community. There's a lot of dedication in that profession and, and, and the love and desire to take care of those animals. And so working through those those difficult, stressful periods ha- has taken a toll. Um, 
Uh, there was an increase in in people wanting to bring their animals uh, to the vet clinic. I think that that working from home and being at home and and a lot of people even adopted animals while they were at home because um, you know that stress of um, of, of all of the changes that the pandemic and staying at home brought, we, we know that, that animals, uh, pets in the house are good for our emotional health as well. And so there was a, a, a demand and an increase for uses of our, for our veterinarians. Uh, their people are home seeing their animals, paying more attention to them, being there all the time, noticing when they're sick or whatever. So there was a, you know, an increase in, in, demand for services as well as the stress of just trying to deal with all this. And then over time, um, like with everybody else, the, the strain of, of having enough workers, um, being able to keep enough people working, the supply chain issues, all those things affect the veterinary profession um, just like they do all of the others. So it there's there has been strain on them. I, I don't think it's quite been in the same way that we see our our healthcare workers, um, the frontline, you know, nurses and doctors as people were flooding emergency rooms. But in its own way, uh, it, it's taken its toll and been stressful and, and been difficult um, for them to, you know, for these long periods of time. Just for example, people not getting to take vacation, not getting the time off that they need because they're all you know, dedicated to making sure that all their clients' animals are, are taken care of. So in its own way, it it has been stressful and, and taken its toll on our veterinary community. Dr. Jim Watson, state veterinarian, thank you so much for your time, taking the time to give us your insights on this issue. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Still ahead, activists in the state rally for immigrants' rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Immigrants' rights activists rallied yesterday in support of Yadi Ambrosio. Yadi is a former Mississippi resident who was deported during the 2019 chicken plant ice raids. And now she's been detained for trying to return to the state. MPB reporter Kobe Vance was there. He spoke with Lorena Quitos, who's executive director of an organization called Immigrant Alliance for Justice and Equity. Yadi was picked up August 17, 2019. She'd only been here in the country for a few months. One of the reasons she came here is to um, flee the, the violence in her country and then be able to support her mom. She spent over a year in the detention center and then she was deported. Um, things were very, very difficult for her in Guatemala, so she made the trek back or attempted to make the trek back to Morton, Mississippi. Um, and then she was in Arizona, she was arrested. So th- that was almost nine months ago. Um, the last nine months, she has suffered from COVID. Um, she doesn't get any medication or, or care or enough water. She's had several urine infections, kidney infections. So she's been sick and she's just tired and hurt and misses her mom. Yesterday, we received a message from her mom and, and mom. Um, sending love and also letting us know how much she misses her daughter. 
Does she have family here in Mississippi still? She, so her family, uh, her sister, Aura Ambrosio and Ruel, they were workers in Morton, Mississippi. They recently relocated uh, because they weren't able to find work. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, she was detained in Arizona. Was she trying to re-enter this United States undocumented? She was. She was trying to re-enter the United States. As I mentioned before, uh, Yadi is fleeing very difficult circumstances. Uh, her case right now is, is, is pending. So, But those are the circumstances. Those are reality for many of our young women. She is uh, barely over 20 years old. She's a young woman, and she felt that she was safer here in this country, even after she was detained, even after she served that time. Um, and so she attempted to come back. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ice raids at the chicken plant and her experience of sexual assault that might have led to that? Yeah. So the Department of Labor, EEOC, they've all uh, put out public messages and uh, Senator Mallorcas acknowledging the fact that, you know, these chicken plant workers, um, years before the raids and months before the raids actually happened, um, won uh, uh, a suit against the plants in Morton. They had just started to receive their money, and then months later, the raids happened. So we believe this was retaliatory. This was sending a message, do not, you know, file against us, which we know is their right. You know, right now we're working with the Department of Labor and EEOC to, this continues to happen. It continues to happen on a daily basis. And these are the things that our, our women um, experience on a daily basis in those chicken plants. What are y'all calling for right now? And um, I know this probably extends far beyond That's right. just a, a Yanni. Yeah. Um, there's there's other cases, but her case in particularly, um, where we're asking to free Yadi. Um, is emblematic of the separation of families. We know that this um, administration promised to undo the harms, and this is just an example of the harm that continues to happen to our folks from that day, August 7, 2019. The trauma, the pain, the, the sickness, um, the separation of families. Uh, we are asking the Department of Labor, um, Secretary uh, Mallorcas, we're asking them they can do more. They can free Yadi to wait for her immigration until that gets settled, her immigration case. But they can also provide deferred action for labor enforcement. So what's that, what that is, is that our folks are fearful because of the rates. They still feel it. We say that we feel the trauma in our body. And so if they are abused, um, if there's any kind of abuse, they're afraid to file grievances with the Department of Labor. And we have recently seen an increased effort of the Department of Labor to do outreach, to tell folks, hey, come on over, file grievance, it's your right, do not be scared. But you cannot, you cannot take that fear if you don't have something like deferred action for labor enforcement where folks um, are able to have a permit and not fear that they will be fired and then deported if they file grievances against their employer. Looking forward, what do you think uh, DALE means for you know, addressing the rights for, work, for immigrant workers to be able to come, come forward and talk about their employers who have contributed to or ignored acts of sexual assault or other you know, workplace uh, grievances? Yeah, this, this would be huge for Mississippi workers especially. We have gotten Daber, and, and we're working closely with the national 
organization called Andalon, um, National Day Laborers Network. And we have been able to, and I say we because I'm part of that network, and they're my brothers, my sisters, in Georgia to get deferred action in Las Vegas for folks that have filed grievances that we've proved. This would mean so much to our folks in Mississippi. Um, we're feeling, we, 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 we cannot, children still remember the times when their parents were detained. And so what this would mean would be some sort of release from the trauma, from the pain, um, and the fear. Having a permit means that you are able to find jobs elsewhere. If your employee fires you, he cannot threaten you with deportation. He cannot threaten you with those things that may mean that your children won't eat, that you might lose your home, that you may have to spend three, four months you know, in, in a crowded house until you're able to find employment. This is so much bigger than what we're calling for right now. This is um, freedom for folks to file grievances, which is their right, which is their human right, uh, and to be able to do it w without fear. Is there anything you'd like to share with Mississippians about the importance of or other issues that might be facing the immigrant community in the state? So Mississippi, you know, um, when press came down and when activists and organizers came down and they asked the workers and the families of workers, why are you still here? Why don't you leave? They were like, Mississippi is home. And as hard as people from the north or from the Pacific West, you know, um, it is for them to hear that, immigrants feel at home in Mississippi. So this is home to thousands of documented and undocumented uh, folks in Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi actually holds a, a very, very diverse, it's not just Mexican, Guatemalas, they're South Americans, Central Americans, and we're here to stay. And we love this place. We have raised children in this place. Um, there's so many issues. Language justice, very difficult for folks to even understand the process of, of applying for simple um, benefits um, for their children, you know. The fear, the same as our black brothers and sisters fearing being stopped by the police because that means, it could mean deportation, it could mean separation, it could mean loss of your job. There's so many things that are affecting our folks in Mississippi um, that are we're fearful, but we still hold Mississippi in our hearts. We still want to make it work and we still want to stay here. So we're just sharing that message that it's our love for Mississippi that makes us stay here. Lorena Kairos is executive director of Immigrants Alliance for Justice and Equity. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Have a nice day. Try and stay cool.